from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, triple coverage version podcast. For all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between, alongside John Bennett, who's producing and co-hosting with me right now, at least for this segment. I'm Sean Fazan. Today we're talking Saints, LSU, Tulane, Prep. The whole gang is here, but for this first segment, it's just going to be John Bennett and I. But first... We want to remind you, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please tell your friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or the Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. Now let's get to it. All right, John Bennett, it is hump day, Wednesday. It's always kind of the the day for us where we really kick it into high gear in terms of uh, letting last week go and really diving into the week On to Chicago? What's the... Um, look ahead and it's really my day where I really get into numbers especially at this point in the season we're at that point now where the numbers are starting to make a little more sense Uh, you're starting to feel like okay the team is developed into who they're going to be in terms of just their identity Um, and you look at the Saints team at least currently constructed without Drew Brees you look at this Bears team as currently constructed a lot of similarities. With or without Trubisky or Chase Daniel. A lot of similarities. I just read an article, by the way, that they're cautiously optimistic that Trubisky plays. Either way, if you have Trubisky or Daniel, doesn't really change much in terms of the overall uh, vibe, feeling of this team. These are two teams that are winning with defense, um, winning uh, both have playing elite-level defense, and that's with Akeem Hicks going to the injured reserve. Um, depending on the quarterback, um, it's funny because you – Chase Daniel and Trubisky are pretty similar, but one's a backup and one's a starter. So one, when one quarterback acts a certain way, it's a little more acceptable versus when the <laughs> starter acts a certain way. But the bottom line is they have a more of a um, a ball control, um, game-managing style of quarterback. Some would say, and I would agree to a certain extent, that Teddy Bridgewater is in that number uh, at quarterback. So you have that, and then you have – you know, your, your defense, that, that both defenses are dominating. So, but the vibe around the Saints is much different, much more positive than the vibe around the Bears. The Bears are 3-2 and two coming off a bye. They lost in London. They're in the toughest division in football. One of the tough, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, NFC West. Uh, yeah. I, I think you're right. That, that North is going to be interesting in November and December. Um, and you have, you know, quarterbacks that are, are fairly comparable, just, just at least in terms of what you would scout them as, right? regardless of who this quarterback is for the Bears. So what's the difference? The difference is the Saints are getting enough out of their run game, whereas the Bears are not. The Bears are putrid running the football. They're averaging 3.4 rushes uh, yards per rush. The Saints are getting 104 rushing yards a game, good for 19th in the NFL. And they're able to run the football because the offensive line um, has been good. Uh, they've been elite at times. They've they've done what they've had to do, considering the the constant changing of types of game plans you're have to doing. You're, you're gonna have to do types of blocking schemes, types of defenses that they're playing. I think they've been pretty consistent, short of the um, what game was it where they had a bunch of the penalties? Was it the uh, was the, the, it the Dallas, Cowboys the game, Dallas game, and also the Rams game? I'll throw the Rams game out because that was just kind of a, everybody yeah. was rattled. Um, so I think. Over, and Seahawks, they were a little bit little rattled as well, I thought, early in the game. But I think they've kind of found their groove with that. Um, they've played better the last couple of weeks. So the offensive line is clearly where the difference is between a Bears team and a Saints team. That In every other's category, they look pretty similar. Yeah, and Chicago's defense, we've seen flashes. But you mentioned Akeem Hicks being out. How much does that mm-hmm. simplify the equation for the Saints offense to only have Khalil Mack going after them? Because Akeem Hicks... When last we checked, Sean Payton wasn't crazy about him here in New Orleans. He's become a star. Yeah, captain of the defense and really and one of the mainstays. No, I mean, that article I read about him a few months back, he had no love lost for, for the Saints. I mean, he's like straight up, I don't like the Saints. Yeah, so, it, was, it was him and Jimmy Graham like tweeting at yeah. one point, like congrats on getting When he out. left, though, it was it was time for him to go. Yeah, he, different he, times. His, his, it, was, it really was a, 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 that 14-16 that to 16 era was just bad. But how much of a difference does he make? Absolutely a lot. Um, but I do think there is an identity and there is a there's a standard with this Bears defense. And let's not look at the names on this defense. Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan is their leading tackler. Watch out for Eddie Jackson. Uh, Eddie Jackson, the safety. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix. 
Um, Kyle, Kyle Fuller, Fuller guy, you really guy I love Kyle draft. Fuller coming out. Prince of Mukamara. Is that how you say it? Amukamara. Yeah. Um, I just named a lot of names that are pretty recognizable yeah. at all three levels of that defense. So um, even without Akeem Hicks, this is not going to be an easy game. And look, if you look at the numbers, I mean, look at these numbers. 83 yards are rushing, uh, the Bears are allowing. 13 points a game they're allowing. Number six in the NFL in total yardage. You're only getting 32% of your third downs against the Bears. So they get off the field, they keep you out the end zone, and they don't let you run the ball. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, Saints. So that's why the smart money is you thought last week was boring. Um, I think we're in for a similar style of game here. You go on to Chicago. I don't know what the weather's going to be like. It's probably going to be a little more tolerable than, say, in no, late November and into December, but you never know. Um, we've, see, we've seen some sunny days. In 2014, it was a nice sunny October day. 2011, it was there too. No, 2015, 2013, it was snowing. 2015 was miserable. I was there for that Monday night game. It was miserable. 2013 was a it was a Pierre Thomas game where they did a bunch of checkdowns and won. Um, 2014. 20. And then 2015 was a late Monday nighter that didn't matter to either team. Josh Hill had two touchdowns. Wait, 2014. What, what game was that? It was week five. They started the season 5-0. and oh, Then they went to New England the that next was 13. week and lost. That was 13. 13. Yeah, 14. They, I don't think they played in 14. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, I don't want to get lost in the side <laughs> chatter there. But um, um, uh, but Sunday, uh, it's like a high of 62 and a low of 55. Mostly sunny. Now, you that. never know about the wind there in that well, stadium. And you always got to wonder. This is I've been there a lot now, and I remember looking at a, a Saints assistant one time when I was at that Monday night game back in 2015. He looked at me. I looked at him. He goes, you see this grass? I looked down. I said, oh, yeah, I saw the grass. It was not freshly cut. Let's just put it that way. That's an advantage they like to use. They like to slow down fast track offenses. But in this case, this version – of the Saints offense, you would not necessarily call the you know the greatest show on turf. You would call them a team that likes the longer spikes and digs their you know foot into the ground and gets the tough yardage with uh, kind of some 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 rugged offensive line play. You got a rugged wide receiver in Michael Thomas who loves contact. Um, we don't know what the status of Alvin Kamara. Well, yeah, yet. that that brings me to a good question here from um, Wilson and Harvey. How bad do you guys think Alvin Kamara's ain't? ankle injury is you can see he was not 100 percent on sunday this should allow the saints to pound it more with latavius especially against a good defense oh man this is such a good question because i was thinking about this today (sighs) is it worth it if kamara is 80 percent to play knowing play him knowing that he's not going to be as productive but also knowing that his presence could probably dictate a few things defensively that would be favorable to you offensively or do you say it's not worth the risk? We got a bye week in two weeks. Let's get this guy healthy. And I'm going to be honest. I think it's probably going to end up being how he how he practices. Yeah. Um, and and the, the conditions on the field. Conditions on the field will make a difference. Um, he did not look good even before the hit last week. Yeah. Watched him in warm ups. Didn't like. Didn't look quite as fluid. And there were a couple of plays where you, look the daylight was there. He didn't take it, or he he just couldn't break the tackle, or. There were really just plays. Had one there was, there was play. I think it was a 16-yard burst, but that was about it. There was a couple of plays, one-on-one, where he always wins in space, and he just was not able to do it. Now Jacksonville is a good, strong tackling defense, but you know what? The Bears are even better. Yeah. So, um, point being, how do you play that? I don't know. You you brought up the point about the Bears this week, then the Cardinals, then you have the bye week, which in on Tuesday when the PJ Williams suspension came out, I said, man. That's good timing to be without your nickel corner because you're going against a Bears team that hasn't shown they can throw the ball. And the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, I mean, you can't be thinking that that guy's getting too deep into his reads. He's got Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. So, I mean, it sets up well. And I would probably say – I'm trying to get to the bottom of that, by the way. For those that have asked me on Twitter, a bunch of you guys have, I'm trying to get to the bottom of, of, of why it's now, not the beginning of the season, considering when the arrest was. Yeah. Considering Anyamata's arrest was after he served his suspension early, um, I'm trying to get to the bottom of that. I asked the Saints; they said they weren't completely sure. It could have been an appeal thing. It could have been just a situation where just the process played out, and they just now they're just getting to him. I, I don't know, um, but he was playing some good football. 
And he was the guy that was well that did well in run support. Now you play in a team that doesn't run the ball well, so that helps. And you know what? They don't really have a third receiver that you really that really scares you. Plus, it's an opportunity, I think, to see because I think it's gonna be Gardner Johnson, not Patrick Robinson. Yeah. It's gonna be the nickel. And and when they go big nickel, then Patrick Robinson comes in the game and probably look for Ken Crawley to be active. Ken Crawley to be active. To yeah. be active. Saquon Hampton's not gonna be the guy that gets the call out of that opportunity. No, and I it's tough, but this may end up. This is probably going to be a redshirt year for Saquon Hampton, just because the secondary is playing well right now. Yeah. Another, you'd hate to say this, but if there were an injury to the safety position, then perhaps he steps up. But even then, a guy like J.T. Gray is being was more the special teams guy. So, who knows? But point being, with Williams out, they they're getting these tough breaks that are actually good breaks because they're happening positions at positions where they have depth. The linebacker situation. They had depth there. They had a couple injuries there. Um, the Now with P.J. Williams going out, David Onyemata early in the year, you had some depth. depth right now, I mean, with Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray. Yeah. Let's talk about Latavius because he played well. Um, Congrats was productive. to him on his, on his, uh, his baby boy. Um, he played well, was productive, caught the ball better than I thought. Um so I think this is, if not now, when? This is a team you're going to need some tough yardage. You're going to have to be patient a little bit. If you got to grind out with three- and four-yard gains, so be it. A lot of times that's Sean Payton getting impatient, but I don't know what other option he has considering. I don't know there's a whole lot of matchups you like out here from your offense against their defense. I mean, you're going to have to have a strong defense and strong special teams to win this game once again. So I think Latavius Murray is poised for a bigger role, but... Are we expecting 25 carries, 150 yards, and three touchdowns? I think that's unrealistic. Yeah. But then again, where is the offense going to come from against this stingy Bears defense? I mean, what what can you expect from Michael Thomas and Jared Cook in the passing game? Well, I think you got to expect something. But I wouldn't – I don't want to just say, well, there's no way they can, they can beat this Bears defense. But the Bears lost the game allowing 10 points. You know, they won a game scoring 16 points. You know, they allowed 20, was it 24 against the Raiders last week? I go back and watch that game. That was the highest total they've yielded all yeah, season. Yeah, 24. And that's why they're, they're, and that brought their average up to 13 points a game allowed. So without that, you're talking yeah, about a team that, that's. Yeah, before that, they allowed six to the Vikings, 15 to Washington, and I 14 say, like, to the Broncos, a, and 10 to the Packers on opening night. Was there any takeaways? The Bears, you had um, – Did they turn the ball over last week? With the Raiders. Did the Raiders was pick them off or recover fumbles? Two turnovers each way. Who had turnovers early? And one of the turn, one of the touchdowns – no. It was, it was all legitimate. Okay. But, I mean, you had Oakland so jump out what to did the Raiders do? Lead. What did the Raiders do? Uh, was it the power run Foster game? Foster Moreau had four catches for 46 yards. Okay, so that's what – a lot of rugged, rugged type play. And then, and then their other the tight end, Darren Waller, had four catches for 39 so yards. So two tight ends did well. A lot of heavy personnel football. Did they run the ball well? Did they run the ball well? Stand by. Uh, Oakland had 39 rushes for 169 yards. 39 rushes. Yeah, at four yards. All from running backs. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Derek Carr was getting out there. 39 rushes. Let's see what happens with the Saints if they, if they stick to that, because that means one guy's gonna get a lot of it. Because if it's if Kamara's banged up, then um, you, you'd figure Latavius Murray gets the role. So we'll see. Um, what do I expect out of Teddy Bridgewater this week? Yeah, that's that's kind of the the ongoing angst we're getting on the final word feature, of the final play app is just everyone wants to know like they they it's just not enough. If I could sum up the angst yeah, of people who are they've complaining, had 12, they've had 13 years of Drew Brees, and this is a total. This is this is Teddy Bridgewater would be the perfect quarterback for Jim Mora. Yeah, would be the perfect quarterback. There are NFL coaches in this league that will look at Teddy Bridgewater and say that guy doesn't lose the game for me. I want him as my starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if Sean Payton is that guy. He's that yeah. guy for right now in the six weeks. But look, here's, here's this is temporary. I have I have like I said I have. A, I have ex watched film, watched every practice. I mean, I, there was not a player I watched more than Teddy this preseason, and I've watched him in this four or five game stretch here. It's going to end up being six, if depending on when uh, Drew comes back. 
you know how you win with Teddy. You know yeah. how. The, the, the formula is there. You got to have a strong defense. You got to have strong special teams. And Teddy Bridgewater is going to manage the game. And every now and then he's going to make a play that he has to make, a timely play that he has to make. He's never going to take over a game. Um, he's never going to be the guy where you walk up the field and say, wow, he was the best player on the field by far. I don't think it's ever going to be that way. I thought, I know Although did, the Bucks game was good. He did good in the Tampa game. I don't, I don't want to take that but away from But let that him. be an outlier. I, right now I'm willing to say that's an outlier because when I look at this body of work and I go back and check his Minnesota stats and watch those games, there's a pattern. You know what? That's fine. You could probably win a lot of games with Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterback, and they've won every single game. So for the present tense, and this is what I want to tell fans because I feel like I contributed to this narrative a little bit, the double vision, right? Okay, great as a backup quarterback, but is he the answer? And I think fans are kind of going swaying back and forth when they watch him. So for this moment only, just watch him as the number two quarterback where all they want to do is get out the game with a victory. That's all, they, that's all, that's all that matters. Yeah. And leave what's going to happen next year or years after when or if Breeze retires and when or if Bridgewater's up for the contract. Leave that up to next year because for right now, he's doing exactly what he has to do. Is However it goes, however the, however the game goes, when they leave the stadium, they've, they've left every single time with a victory. And they're playing with house money right now. And I think that they have survived the situations where they had to worry about Teddy playing from behind. This Bears team, barring turnovers for touchdowns, is not going to jump out ahead. This Cardinals team is epidemically playing from behind. I mean, they were it's against the Lions week one. Since then, they've been playing from behind. Jacksonville wasn't about to explode on offense in the first quarter. Who came up with Who found that stat? What's that? Falling from behind. That would be Sean Pazan. That would be me, yes. Because I'll tell you this, the Saints have not scored a first-quarter offensive touchdown. touchdown since the Steelers game last December in the regular season. That's all a part of the formula, never out of reach. And that's and, complimentary football. And the Bears football. and Cardinals are not going to jump out to a 14 nothing so lead. They've never trailed by more than four points in a game with Teddy Bridgewater. That and makes it, all the difference. And the latest was... Was it early fourth third quarter or quarter early third quarter against the Cowboys? So he's never had. You know, it, it was fourth quarter because he got credit for a fourth quarter comeback. Okay, well there you go for the drive that made it twelve to ten. Look, here's the deal: there is no situation in New Orleans like there is one in Carolina right now. Yeah, where they're talking Kyle Allen keeps the job even when Cam Newton comes back. I don't think that's an option here. Um, I'm not completely well-versed in Carolina, but what I do know is what my eyes told me when I watched Cam Newton. And this is not just this year. This is last year. Really since the Super Bowl year, his play has done this, a nosedive. It's steadily gotten worse. And he was not playing well before he got hurt. He looked hurt while he was playing. Kyle Allen has done nothing to set the world on fire. Played pretty similar to Teddy Bridgewater, if you, if you want to be honest. Took care of the football with the exception of a few uh, fumbles in, was it the uh, Jacksonville Houston game? game? Houston game. J.J. Watt was getting after him. Okay. Short of a few fumbles in that game, He's he's kind of follow, followed the the traditional backup quarterback model that gets a chance to start is for this when you get thrust into the role you figure out a way to win the game and yeah. then you work on it how do I become a better true quarterback at the end of the season you fight you figure it out and the difference he's completing sixty six percent of his passes as opposed to fifty six for Cam Newton seven touchdowns zero interceptions as opposed to zero and, and one and Priest's only game this year he lit it up yeah I mean when well and they were way behind. They were way behind. They're not winning that game with Teddy Bridgewater, and I think it, everyone knows that. Exactly. Look, when you walked on, when, when there was the last sequence, right, Texans come out and they score. Saints come, get the ball back and they score and win. When, when the Texans got the ball back, there was a fear in that stadium that Sean was going to lead them down. And guess what he did? But when Drew got the ball back, there was a calm in that stadium, and Drew's going to lead us down. And that's exactly what he did. So that feeling alone is enough to, to, to squash any – because we got that question – last week about oh well, well if he comes back then is that going to throw off the rhythm if they I don't know because I still think the way they're winning you're not winning with great offense you're winning with elite defense that has nothing to do with who the quarterback is and you're winning with elite special teams that has nothing to do with what the quarterback is and I just feel like there I kind of felt it a little bit from t from Sean Payton after the game he wants to win first but he definitely has a way of victory that he's used to and he's not used to this style of winning and he's going to take it for now, 
But the second he can get back to the way he wants to go back and win it, I think that's the way it's going to go. And that's why I don't think there's any controversy whatsoever. Well, and I think it'll be a pretty stark difference when Breeze comes back in weeks 10 and 11 against the Falcons, Buccaneers, who have two of the worst defenses in the NFL. And then he'll have the Panthers, and that'll be a really good test in week 12. But something to watch for, you remember last year, it was around week 11 or 12 after they faced the Bengals and the Eagles, and they were scoring 40-plus on each of them. The offense got a little stale on the whole back end of the season after the Cowboys, quote, figured them out. This year, I think that'll be different. Much different. You'll have Breeze and Cook redeveloping the chemistry that they had in training camp in the preseason, and all of a sudden they'll be hitting full stride right as the playoffs come around. Yeah, and look, there's always other factors. There's injuries. There was injuries to the offensive line last year. Yeah. That, that caught them That was guard. right there's when Terrence Armstead went always out. Always outside factors that you have to consider. But, you know, I don't think that, that that's out there right now. Hey, should they – should they, um, you know, keep Teddy in even when Breeze is healthy? I think I died in Jacksonville, frankly, because after the game, it was a buzz. You can feel it in the locker room. Those of us that have been around the team all year, we kind of the same feeling. Like, not – it was more of, okay, if they play like this defensively and Breeze comes back and they stay this way defensively, they're not just going to beat teams. They're going to dominate and run their way through the Super Bowl. So that was more um, of the feeling with that. So – but for right now – it's Teddy Bridgewater show, and uh, we'll see what he does. Expect Sunday. a low-scoring game in Chicago. I do, and this is the one I fear the most, i am be honest with you. Uh, when I looked at the six-game stretch, there were two games that I feared the most, Dallas and Chicago. Dallas because at the time they were the most talented team in football, I <laughs> thought. And Chicago because it's on the road, and it's it's going to be kind of a – it's not going to be a pretty game. It's going to be fairly ugly. But they've won ugly. So I'm not going to predict a loss, but this is the one I fear the most. Uh, out of the Drew Brees absence. I was not fearing Seattle as much as other people, but I did fear the Cowboys, and now I do fear the Bears, but I'm not going to predict the loss for the Saints. All right, I'm going to take a break, and who's next? We've got, I got to say, <laughs> I think we had a good conversation, but the next two segments, we've got Juan and Chris talking college football, Ooh. and then Chris and Garland talking high school football. Insider secret, we taped those yesterday, and I can tell you there. Highly amusing. So stay Stick tuned. around. So we'll listen to Chris Hagen and Juan Kincaid Beef. It's pretty funny. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer. You're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. Welcome back. Chris Hagen alongside the troublesome, bothersome, something else, Juan Kincaid. Talking college football. Juan's on one today. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah, we might find you anyway. <laughs> Look, LSU's got a game Anything for the wings. <laughs> against Mississippi State yeah. coming up. I'm not going to call it a trap game because I think this LSU offense is um, good enough even on a bad day to beat this yeah. Bulldogs team. But Juan Kincaid, if you have any concerns, what are they going into Stark Vegas? I think this team is good enough and understands the importance of where they are in the season that they cannot go into Stark Vegas and lay an egg. That's just the way I feel. I think this LSU team is way too talented offensively. My concerns are still where they were after the Florida game, is that this defense is struggling to stop anyone, is struggling to get off the field. Yeah, they made a few big plays, interception in the end zone when they needed them, but I've got to start seeing more from this defense, and now's the time to show it against a team like Mississippi State. Go on the road there. They're obviously better at home than they are on the road, but they're still one of the bottom-feeding teams in the uh, in the SEC West, so you should have no problem winning this game. In fact, I don't think LSU has a problem beating anybody on the schedule except for Alabama. That's going to be the big test for them. I wouldn't even say they're necessarily better at home. Honestly, they Just uh, lost to Kansas State there 31-24 um, in, what, week three of the season. Uh, they get 56 points hung on them by Auburn. They lose at Tennessee. I mean, th these are ugly losses. I think the thing, though, that could work in LSU's favor, at least from a motivational standpoint, is Ed Ogeron, it's coach talk. It's talk to the media about not overlooking anything. Yeah. But 
the last time they were there, Dan Mullen put them on blast, man. And Nick Fitzgerald put on a show, and, yep. and they just beat the Tigers in the, the line of scrimmage and everywhere else in that game. Um, and there have been some tough games there over the years. Uh, so he can use that, not that Burrow was on that team or – you know, Jamar Chase wasn't on that team. Terrace Marshall wasn't on that team. A lot of guys weren't. But the, those that were will have a memory of a lot of cowbells making a lot of noise and the Tigers making a lot of bad plays. So I don't think they overlooked this contest. You don't walk into Davis Wade Stadium and expect to walk out with an easy win. You Although might. I think LSU will be <laughs> trotting in and sprinting out with an easy victory. Look at the stats here. LSU's averaging 52 points a game. That's double what Mississippi State's averaging. That right there tells you all you need to know about how this game is going to go because LSU is going to be in the track beam. I think it's going to be a lot of points on the board early for LSU. I think Miles Brennan will get an opportunity to play a lot in the second half. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of players for LSU on the field playing this weekend against a Mississippi State team that's had its off-the-field issues. And like, We would have loved to have seen Keaton Thompson play there. Yeah. But it's not going to happen, obviously, transfer portal. This is just not a very good football team. Who's better, Mississippi State or Ole Miss? Uh, I'm going to say Mississippi State. Okay. Barely. But that's not much. Not, not, not a big. No. It's, yeah. Kudos to anybody who can sit through that Egg Bowl later this year. Look, I don't know about you, but the, the confirmation to me for LSU's offense was Florida. Yes. And what they were able to do in that game. Look, I think I said it a lot in the last podcast. It's just You did. It's going to be. Say it again. Who can outscore LSU? That is the that is, that is the recipe for beating LSU is outscoring them. The teams I think that could actually do it, Bama, Oklahoma, if they ever got the chance. Yeah. Clemson would be interesting. They haven't played their best football. They haven't. But I think there's still potential there. Um, but that's that's the that's the recipe. I, I I just don't see it any other way. That's why. Call me naive, but we've seen it with our own eyes, six times now. Our own two eyes. To us, uh, that if you if you can't keep pace with LSU, they're going to bury you with points. They've got too many weapons to keep down for too long, and I love what they do on the receiver position with Jamar Chase out there. I mean, Justin Jefferson. Those two guys to me are are NFL ready right now. Um, and then you sprinkle in so many other guys that are involved in the offense, and we're not even talking about a running game that's been criticized all year long as not being what LSU running backs have been in the past, but yet. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire runs for, what, 130, something like that, and change against Florida. I mean, he has a fantastic game. This this offense is balanced, and they're becoming more and more balanced as they go forward because I think Ed Ogeron realized they need to have a little bit more balance in the running game to kind of smooth things out. But, man, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Joe Brady is the MVP of this team because he's totally changed the mindset of what this offense needed to be. And they this offense is what we all hoped it would be five, ten years ago. So I, I just think they're just extremely talented. We, we, we were talking about how they would be challenged going forward in the SEC. Auburn, I just don't think Auburn can score enough points. And Bo Nix has not impressed me at all this season. He's a freshman. He's going to make his mistakes. Tulane went up there and played pretty well for the first three and, uh, two, and, uh, two and a half quarters, almost in the three, four quarters. So I just think that uh, no one challenges this LSU team in the SEC except for Alabama because Bama can score with them. But it's going to be really interesting. You know, Chris, one thing we talked about in this offseason we were concerned about was how would this LSU offensive line do? I still wonder how they'll do against Alabama, but is Alabama's defensive front that much better than Florida's was supposed to be? I don't know. We're going to find that out. But I think the fact that, as you mentioned, LSU's offensive line, all LSU's offense showed they could do well against a top defense in Florida, I think that bodes well for how they're going to do against Alabama going forward. And you, you said it a second ago. The pass-run balance is something that has sneakily been – it's been an issue, but, like, LSU is sneakily very balanced. Yeah. You see the big pass plays, and you see um, how much more they are throwing the ball than in the past, but the numbers are totally balanced. I mean, 165 pass attempts to 208 rush attempts. Yep. Um, they've almost rushed for 1,000 yards, what, six games into the season now. So – I think from that regard, obviously Florida was um, probably the most standout game in terms, of, in terms of being able to run the ball and having big plays through the run game. But they've been balanced, and they've certainly been balanced enough for the offense to still function very well, for teams not to totally um, 
you know, sell out on stopping the pass and, and not make you respect LSU as a, as a team that can run the football. Um, that's what's been pretty masterful to me um, in terms of watching this offense. And, and going forward, I think they've now discovered a star in Tyron Davis-Price. Yeah. Um, not that one breakout run did it, but the but fact it lets that you know. it lets you know that that's there. And I think he has been solid mm-hmm. as much as anything through the first five games going into that one. Well, you know, I didn't realize that stat about the run-pass ratio, uh, Chris. Again, that's amazing. I, I never thought they had – because it doesn't look like it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel it. like they've run the ball more. They've thrown it. They just haven't had that star back. There's been no four net back there, no Darius guys, no guy that you knew was going to get the ball 20 times a game in his hands to run the ball. But you had – I was wrong on that stat a little bit. It was 212 pass attempts and 208 rushes. It's 165 completions. Okay. Still. Yeah. Still. It it's is balanced. very balanced. Yeah, very balanced. And I, I would have thought it was two-thirds passing based on what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And that's only because they f- feel like they're scoring almost every fifth pass they throw <laughs> the ball. And that's what it is. And that's the key. Like, if they really wanted to just keep that tempo up – and like I said, they could have put 50 on Florida if they wanted yeah. to. Um, but they slowed it down because they didn't have to pass the ball and, and throw or at least throw the ball down the field as much as they did. But um, – I love the offense and the fact that you can turn up the volume. You can crank that volume not, yeah. notch up. You can turn it right back down whenever you want. Hey, John Bennett's here. Just with a quick question. Yeah, John. Last year Good against Mississippi you. State, LSU had four interceptions and shut down their offense. What do you need to see out of the defense this week and next week against Auburn to prepare them for Alabama? Get off the field. For me, it's really simple. Get pressure on the quarterback and get your butt off the field. And those are two things we haven't seen nearly enough from LSU's defense. You sound like an angry, angry. I'm angry. Ang- I'm, yeah, get I'm your angry. butt off the field. Yeah, I mean, and it's like you said. Get off my lawn. Exactly. It's like you said. They didn't. They don't have any excuses following the Florida game because all the players that were supposed to be big time players, you know, they were there. Oh, you're right. I mean, the the third and long conversions bother you a little bit. Um, yeah. You want to see that, Th- and that's the thing. I mean. Florida was probably the best test, and, and again, hats off to Florida. I think they played better than offensively than I thought they would, um, but that was a, a nice test of um, what a legitimate offense, no offense to anybody they <coughs> played previously, but especially not Texas, excuse yeah. me. But um, Florida was a good test of uh, what it's going to look like and what they're going to have to do defensively to win some games in the SEC against – these next couple of opponents, look, you, you mentioned, John mentioned the, the four interceptions they had against Mississippi State a year ago. The way they've played at quarterback and the inconsistency that the Bulldogs have had there, I would like to see another couple interceptions. I mean, I think this is a game where they can force them into some third and long situations, and guys like Derek Stingley and Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit, who I know would probably want another chance at that interception he dropped. Yeah. Um, those guys can go out and make some plays. That's what I'd like to see, and especially against um, Auburn and Bo Nix, I think that's another opportunity you have, especially for Dave Aranda to throw something at a freshman quarterback to throw some different things at him that he hasn't seen and, and may not see. Um, so that's, I guess that's where you could kind of sharpen the iron going into Alabama against some different-looking offenses. LSU has 15 sacks in six games. Based on the talent they have on that side of the ball, that's way too low. Um, now granted, they all haven't played every game. I get that. Uh, Kaylevon Chason hasn't played, you know, and he was probably the one guy that you thought would get multiple sacks based on what he's done in the past when he's been healthy. I just need to see Dave Aranda. And listen, somebody told me yesterday they feel like Dave Aranda's overrated. Now, it's hard to argue with, with that when, when he says it in the context of, well, look what they've done this year. They can't get their butts off the field. They're struggling to get off the field. They can't get pressure on the quarterback. He's got all the talent in the world. He's not doing anything with it. I wonder if part of that is the fact that you got a team scoring 50 points a game and therefore it takes some of the pressure off. Whereas last year and the year before that, you had a defense that had to lead the way to help an offense stay in the game. I could see that possibly being a thing, but at the end of the day, I think Aranda and his players have too much pride to regardless of whether the offense has your back or not. Jacoby Stevens said a week ago, like they don't want to be seen as the weak link of this team. And they are right now, which yeah. is hard to believe. So in terms of Aranda, the $2.5 million man, um, I just think it was – you've seen it. We've seen it in a couple games now. LSU playing zone coverage – 
and rushing three or rushing four, it does it doesn't yeah, work. No. Like this is a team that those corners want to play man. They do their best in man. Um, and we've seen when they've gone to zone a couple of times, there's been miscommunication and missed assignments. For example, the first touchdown Florida had, you don't bring a blitz. They don't. The pressure doesn't get there. Trask has all day. There was a mix-up between what Christian Fulton thought the coverage was, and there's a man wide open in the back of the end zone. I think he thought it was zone, and it was man, and he let him run free. And so it's just it's things like that. Um, and so the communication has to be better. But I think you just got to play to the, the the strength of your team a little bit more. And there were certain downs where LSU went man across the across the field, brought brought the blitz, forced a quick throw, and I think um, Florida's Florida's a good team, and that's not gonna, you can't do that every down. You can't play man every down. Um, Dan Mullen is too good of a of a coach and an offensive mind to to do that. And really, anybody should be at that at the SEC level, but. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you've got to find an identity of this defense and, and do what's best for them, whether that means dialing up the pressure a little bit more or not. The biggest problem, and Ogeron has talked about this, he's admitted it, is that they just they can't get to the quarterback when yeah. they rush four. And so you're forced to bring that extra pressure, and teams like Bama and quarterbacks like Tua Tungavaloa are going to take advantage yes, of that. They are. Yeah, that, 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 that's they got to figure it out between now and the Alabama game, and I'm not sure you can figure it out by then. You've got to change your... Um, change your approach a little bit somehow, some way to start getting some guys. You know, I think a lot of it's confidence too. Once you start doing it, it kind of snowballs a little bit. Players will get get a feeling of what it feels like to to get a sack on the quarterback or get pressure, and and all of a sudden maybe it starts happening more and more. But it's not happening nearly enough for LSU right now. And again, based on the talent they have on that side of the ball, it should be happening more often than what it is. Hey, you want to talk a little Tulane football? I'll talk a little Tulane football. Hey, they're five and one. What? And Two things could happen this week. Uh-oh. They could win at Memphis, which was previously ranked Memphis, and they could t- jump in the top 25. I believe they, if both happen. I don't know what's going on uptown with Tulane, but Willie Fritz deserves a lot of credit for where that team is right now, being able to handle the highest expectations they've had there in almost 20 years and handling it with class. Justin McMillan's been fantastic once again, not making the big mistakes. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat, which is something we – Rarely said about Tulane football over the many, many years. They were up. They were uh, favored by 34 against UConn and beat them by 40, 49. 49 to 7. 49 to 7. So beat them by 42. We're journalists, not math majors. Yeah, 42. So my point is, is that it doesn't matter how much you tell Tulane guys don't read the clippings. They're having a fantastic season. They're going to read what's being said about them. And what's being said about them is this is a fantastic year that everything they, they want to achieve is ahead of them. They're talking at the beginning of the year about, you know, we're not just trying to make another bowl game back-to-back. We're trying to win the conference. All that's in front of them. It's all in their possession if they can go just go get it, and it begins with Memphis this weekend. That's right, because this is where it begins. Um, Army, obviously a good test. Houston. And Army's given them problems in the past. They have, offense. and this is a really good. This is one of Army's better teams, especially yep. defensively. And Tulane Should ran all over Michigan. them. Yep. Um, Houston, obviously, with De'Ara King before he decided to sit out the rest of the year. Uh, before he's tired, he, he's tired, needing a nap, <laughs> needs some milk. <laughs> he needs milk. Uh, Leche. Yeah, uh, Houston was a good test, but when you talk about the teams at the top, you're talking about UCF. Um, SMU playing really well, and obviously Memphis. And this is where I think Tulane is going to not only have to bring their best offensively, but defensively as well to slow down what's traditionally a pretty good offense. Um, And I'm interested to see how Tulane adjusts. I know that if I were Memphis, I would be selling out on stopping the run. Tulane has got three guys with more than 300 yards rushing, which may not sound like much, but there are so many different guys that touch the football. The better stat is the fact that Corey Dauphine with 33 carries, averaging 11 yards per carry, just a big play machine. Darius Bradwell, the workhorse, leads the team in carries, averaging nearly five yards a pop. Justin McMillan, 5.6 yards per carry with six rushing touchdowns. He leads the team there. And then Amari Jones, I call him the Alvin Kamara of the team, uh, 6.8 yards per carry. Jones also tied for the most receptions on the team with 19. This is a – it's a balanced attack, but it's a little deceivingly balanced. It's it's about getting the ball to the the playmakers in space. But I think what Memphis is going to do 
is force Justin McMillan to beat them with throws down the field. I'm taking away everything underneath I can. Absolutely. And I'm making him hit those shots to Marnie, I mean, to Mooney and to yeah. McCleskey down the field. You put he eight in the box? I put eight in the box. Yeah. Now, look, it's dangerous, and that's why I think Tulane is a good offensive team because that means you're leaving guys like uh, McCleskey and Mooney in one-on-one coverage. They're speedy. They're great. Uh, they have great ball skills, and McMillan can put it up there and trust them to go get the ball. But you've got to find a way to to slow down Tulane um, in that running game that can do so much damage. That's the chess match. I'm interested yeah. in Will Hall, the offensive coordinator, against his former team. We were talking about LSU and how they have as much balance run passes, more more balance run passes than we thought. Tulane, they are running it almost twice as many times as they are throwing it. 280 rush att- rushing attempts, 150 pass attempts. And I'm going looking at the list here. There are there may be 15 players in there that carry the ball. You're right. If you're Memphis, you're saying, you know what? We're just going to put seven, eight in the box and make you beat us with Justin McMillan over the top, underneath, with pass plays. Question is, are Memphis's corners good enough to play man-up defense on the island by themselves and, and be successful? That's what we'll see. Yeah. Um, it's a big game for Justin McMillan, in my opinion. It is. Because um, he's the one guy, and I'm not I'm – not, trying to rag on him or anything because I think he's done a pretty good job, but he's been mistake-prone. There have been interceptions. There have been fumbles that have led to points for the other team. Memphis isn't a team that you can afford to do that against. Um, it almost bit him a little bit against Army, and it has in other games. They've survived it because yeah. they've been able to go out and score. It's just a matter of b- making sure that you keep pace and just avoiding those turnovers. And I think that's why you see the numbers skewed one way more than the other in terms of pass attempts and runs. One, because they're playing ahead a lot of the time, and there's a lot of different guys they want to make sure get 5 to 10 touches yeah. or 10 to 15 touches a game. But you're also trying to limit those mistakes from Justin McMillan. In my opinion, that's that's the one thing that, that, that leaves Tulane vulnerable to losing at Memphis. Otherwise, like I, I love what Will Hall does. Like yeah. I said, they're run heavy, but it's it's a matter of whether it's um, a, a a jet sweep or an end around or a reverse or you know a quick pass or you know an inside zone out of shotgun or um, you know running from a more traditional single back set. Like they've done so many different mm-hmm. things with their running backs, and that's what keeps opponents off balance and, and why they're able to do it. I, I think it's interesting how Willie Fritz has been able to kind of involve with this offense a little bit. You think about Jonathan Banks last year. It was really mostly option-style uh, offense where they threw it when they had to. but It not was like Russell wanted. Wilson with 100 interceptions. Exactly. how I described Jonathan exactly. Banks' Exactly, but offense. now it's like, you know, he, he has all these running backs. He can still run the ball like he wants to, but he's got a quarterback that can complete simple throws for the most part. I mean – McMillan is completing 56, 59% of his passes, almost 58% of his passes. He has two interceptions, eight touchdown throws, but I feel like he's been able to complete passes when they've needed to. I can't think of the guys there that made that third down catch when he was deep deep in his own end. This is Jalen McCluskey. Jalen McCluskey, yes. Yeah. He's been able to complete balls like that, not just like that, but just, you know, pressure, pressure throws in key moments to keep Tulane going when they've needed to. And I think – Things have just gone well for the Wave this year. It's been fun watching football uptown for those of us that have been out to the games uptown and watched the games in the stadium. Uh, Don't do that, Juan. Don't, you just can't help yourself. I can't. I told you all he was on one today. Now he's just throwing shade all over the place. You know what they call him? They call him Shade Kincaid. Not many people <laughs> know that. He is Shade Kincaid. Listen, I, I'm, I'm all for the John Bennett. You're not needed here. You're not needed. <laughs> what up, Shade? Listen. Kincaid the contrarian? Here's my thing. Here's my thing. We got an email a couple of days ago from a Tulane uh. fan complaining about coverage. And my response to him was very nice. And Y'all the, were both very sincere. At the end of the email to him, I told him, I said, you know, it's a shame that Tulane's having their best season in many, many years, and the fans are not coming out to see it. So instead of complaining about the media coverage you're getting locally, complain about the Tulane fans. And his response was, I'm an old-school Tulane fan. I'm 65 years old. I agree. we got to get out there and support the team. And so I'll say it again. That's the most beautiful stadium I've been in in a long, long time. It's perfect for football uptown. It's $5 a ticket. Go support the football team. Go enjoy watching Tulane play, and especially when 
this season. It's a fun team to watch. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Your thoughts? Oh, it's, it's a really fun team to watch. I, I completely agree. I sit up it, here and yeah. rave about the running game and the offensive creativity. That's beautiful. And, and in a world where everybody's going to spread and doing different things, like two, what Tulane's doing is actually yeah. really different, yes, getting this is. many guys involved. So, speaking of lights-out offenses right now, let's talk about the Nichols State Colonels up to number nine Colonels. in the FCS rankings. Bye, John. Thanks. Have kind of risen up those Southland Conference um, standings. It was Southeastern that was the hot team. They've since fallen off a little bit, but Nickel State looking really good. It should be no surprise um, when you see that ranking at number nine. A lot of that is because they are a proven team. They've been to the playoffs a couple times. They've now won some playoff games, and Chase Forcade in his senior season is uh, once again playing really well, running the ball as well as ever, and it's another team where you look at who's touching the ball, and there's a lot of different guys. You got Julian Gums, 4K at quarterback, Kendall Bussey, and Dontrell Taylor, another couple running backs who have all gotten involved, all of them with multiple touchdown runs this year. Good to see what the Colonels are doing, and um, a really big year for them. It is a big year for them. For a team that started the regular season on the road, four straight games, I believe they won three of those four? Two. Two of those four? They started away from home, and their head coach is like, you know what, this is what it's going to be. We're going to go on the road, play some tough teams, and see how we do. I really love what their head coach has done there. I think that that's a program that opens its doors to kids that are from this area, that leave this area to go play someplace else, don't like where they are, and they have a place to come back home and play. And they've pulled kids straight out of the New Orleans area, Absolutely. out of high school, and developed them. And that's how you get guys like Sully Lesh and Chase Forcade and Dejon Dixon and guys who really could have played you know, some FBS football somewhere but wanted to put on for Nichols in the home state and have done an excellent job. And you know why, Chris? Because I say this about Southeastern as well. If you want to play in the NFL and you want to play – Go play at Southeastern and Nickel State. Scouts will find you. They will find you. If you can play, they will find you. And that's just the way it is now. You're finding play. I mean, look at – I mean, there's players all over the NFL right now that are from schools you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. What's that kid's name from Assumption College? Deontay Harris. Yeah. The, the, I mean, they got the Saints got a guy from Canada who had three years of football yeah. experience in David Onyemata. Yeah. The scouts will find you. If you can play. The transfer portal, and this is a topic for a podcast another day, but the transfer, por transfer portal is just ridiculous yeah. these days and constantly full because of guys. Because guys want to play. But they want to play yeah. for schools that they don't have any business playing exactly. at. Or they want to play. They want to walk in and be the man. And even coming out of high school, you got to realize if they take two quarterbacks in the class, you gotta, it's all good to say, like, yeah, I'm going to go compete for a job, and then you transfer the next year. Like, you got to actually know you have to go compete for that job. Everybody's getting the same letters in the mail. Everybody's getting the ground they walk on worshipped. But when you get on campus, you got to earn the job. And it hasn't always gone that way, and, and kids are in the transfer portal. Kudos to Nichols and, and some of these FCS schools for going out and getting those guys. But, look, you want to go play winning football, football that you can be proud of. Yep. Um, and win championships and conference championships and play in playoffs and play on national TV when you get to the playoffs, you can still go to these FCS schools and ball out. Hats off to the Nickel State guy. I just went on a rant. I did not see myself going on. I'm today. curious to find out when it gets to be that point how high Chase 4K goes in the draft. I was talking to some people and they're like, he's, he's going to be an NFL player uh, at quarterback. Huh. Uh, I mean, obviously he has the lineage. Um, his uncle played with the Saints. I just think uh, he'll get an opportunity. All right. You don't like that idea? No, I, I do. I think um, there's a – I need to see more from the arm probably. The, yeah. in, the NFL arm is the thing that I question. But if Danny Etling was with the Patriots for a little while, like Kevin Garnett says, anything is possible. The guy I'm keeping an eye on – He's the next Taysom Hill. He could be the next Taysom Hill. They grow on trees, apparently. The guy I look at in that offense is Dejon Dixon. NFL yeah. size, speed, hands, <sighs> Off quickness. the field issues may be a problem with him. Going we'll see. We'll see. One incident. Yeah. One incident it, but, this past summer. Yeah. 
It's going to be brought up. At the, at it's going to be brought up. Senior Bowl, wherever. If he gets invited to the Senior Bowl, it's going to be brought up there. It's going to be brought up at every interview he's he does. He's a junior, so he's still got yeah, a little I'm, yeah. bit of time. I'm saying eventually that stuff is going to be brought up and it's going to be on his resume. And so, But, yeah, he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he will so. uh, be fun to watch, certainly the rest of this year, hopefully at the NFL level as well. When we come back, Garland Gillen, the G, double G, joins the podcast to talk prep football. Stick around for that. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. Welcome back into the podcast, round three of triple coverage. Or I guess if it's triple coverage, what is that, like a cover three? Is that what we're going for? Safety, so we're like the safety, with the deep safety? safety? Yeah, Garland's the deep safety, making sure we're not going off the rails here. Uh, he's talking prep sports. Yeah, crazy, right? We're talking prep sports. The number one team, am I reading this correct, in the Fox 8 Big 8 Rummel? The, the Rummel Raiders? Raiders. You were at the game. You shot the game. I did. Six games a season, Chris. How many points did they give it up? Six. Six points. What? No touchdowns. I've gotten to see them in person one time. They absolutely dominated Slidell. They start nine seniors on defense. Donovan Kaufman, the game I watched, had an interception, forced a fumble, had a kick return. That, that defense is just it, – it's its out of this world Dude, they there. look like the 2017 Jaguars. It's insane. I Shooting that game – uh, in that first half, I want to say Brother Martin crossed the 50 once, maybe in that first half. And even if they did at that point, they ended up throwing another interception. Am I thinking? Or there was the fourth and one they didn't get, and they threw an interception anywhere, somewhere near midfield. Either way, Rummel was absolutely ridiculous. And, and look, I think there may be some deficiencies with the offense, but regardless, the defense is so good, they're probably going to start more drives in your territory than you will in theirs. So, uh, yeah, they should be number one. They look great. And, and I've said this numerous times. I'll say it again. Just remember this date, Chris, November 1st. At Joe Yenny Stadium, Rummel against Curtis, week nine of the regular season. Might be round one. Maybe Catholic of Baton Rouge will have something to say about it. Maybe Brother Martin will, will have a, a say in this again, possibly. But that is going to be a battle of the Titans. No Saints that weekend. No LSU that weekend. So get out there early on Friday. Get your drink on. Get your food on. Relax. Chill. Cause it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be off the chain. Off the chain. Just like Garland is off the chain on this podcast. That's a fun one to look forward to. But about this matchup, Holy Cross just knocked off Warren Easton. Hung a lot of points. Nearly 50 points on Warren Easton last week. So this is a team. Maybe that pushes that Rumble defense. Maybe they score a touchdown. Is that crazy? Maybe. This is probably going to be one of the best quarterbacks they face this season. John Wooten threw four uh, touchdown passes against Warren Easton. Oh, they got a pretty good defense all across. I know they had a, a setback against Jesuit. Uh, they've only lost twice this season. Jesuit and St. Thomas More in week one. St. Thomas More in division two is one of the favorites to, uh, to take the crown. Uh, Holy Cross is, is, is one of those teams in the Catholic League that can win on any given Friday or Saturday night. And when you have a quarterback like John Wooten, I think Holy Cross has a chance in this game. But Rummel's defense, man, it is vicious. So you mentioned Jesuit there. Uh, they are taking on John Curtis. That's another one. Should be a good one at Yuleman Stadium, Uptown. Uh, what are we looking for in that one? I, I know John Curtis is going to be the favorite, but you mentioned Jesuit able to beat Holy Cross, a quality team. Look, once you get past Rummel and John Curtis, I think there are a lot of teams in there that are going to really push each other. It's kind of a coin flip sometimes when you get in there, but specifically Jesuit and John Curtis. What do you look for in that one? Yeah, John Curtis absolutely dominated Shaw last week, which is going to be a recurring theme with Shaw this season. They're still really young. Uh, they're going to have some years to grow here. They're probably not going to win a game in district. But John Curtis, um, I, they're the favorite in this game. They're, they're the number one team in, in, in the state in the polls there. They're number two in our Big 8 rankings there. Because we're crazy like that. Yeah, well, you know, you got to mix it up a little, times. You know, when, when Rommel drops that kind of defense on you, you got to respect, okay? You can't just keep him in number two, okay? So I mixed it up a little, flipped a one and two. But like LSU and Alabama are one and two right now, 
You don't have to worry about the rankings because they're going to play on the field, okay? Yeah, you got a good point there. They will meet. Um, the Catholic League, a.k.a. Division One, <laughs> will meet once, maybe twice, probably twice, um, a lot of these teams. All right, another one outside of the select schools. East St. John paying a visit to Destrehan, one to keep an eye on this week. Both talented teams, you probably have a better beat on this one than I do. Destrehan right now, I, you got to say they're disappointing. Okay, they lost to Terrebonne, they've lost to St. James. Their quarterback situation is is cloudy at best right now. Ja Eugene Jr. came in, threw a touchdown, I think threw a pick also in the loss to Terrebonne. Um, that district is just is just lethal between Hawnville and Thibodeau. East St. John, Destrehan, even Central Lafouche is coming into uh, Hallville this weekend. Central Lafouche only has one loss. They're 5-1. Hallville right now is a class of that district after beating Thibodeau. That was a fantastic game last week there. The game of the week on Fox 8, it was well worth it. It was my, finally my first close game in game of the week. So uh, I, I'm really excited about that district going forward there. But I'm really impressed with Hallville. Darrell Evans, four touchdowns against the Thibodeau Tigers. So you mentioned Destrehan having a bit of an issue at quarterback, but you know who's not having an issue at quarterback? Country Day. Country Day is at West St. John. We could see a lot of points scored in that game. Yeah, Country Day doesn't have an issue quarterback. Where they do have an issue, though, is at offensive line. Mm. Uh, they had they had a, they had no starters returning on the offensive line. Obviously, that that came into play when they went against De La Salle and Newman. Justin Abieta was running for his life in both those games. Help! This is going to be for the district title, uh, and we're only in week seven of the season, but this is for the district title. West St. John is one of the best teams in Class 1A. Uh, Country Day is also in those rankings also. Uh, this is going to be a big one. Um, if you had to ask me for a favorite now, it would probably be West St. John because Country Day struggled so much uh, blocking uh, for Justin Ibieta. Next up, Riverside and Newman. This used to be a pretty annual battle. I don't see it going that way. That's no disrespect. It's just Newman. Look, that defense has played a lot better. You mentioned the, the country day result. And, obviously, they've got a ton of weapons on offense. Yeah, and and Newman also has a running back. Joseph Pleasant uh, is just the a big man. He's five, dude, he's 5'7", 210. I'm 5'7", <laughs> and I'm 150. So, imagine me 60 more I pounds. I want to see you on the Oklahoma drill, man. I mean, 210. I mean, you're getting a walk in. <laughs> I need to see it. You're getting a walk in cater range at 210, okay? Uh, you know? <laughs> we got we to gotta end this podcast right now. <laughs> no, man, that dude's a, he's a, he's a load to bring down. And it's been fun to watch because it's like you got this Manning to Jermon Sutherland connection, and then bam. Pleasant bursting through, and he's getting yards, man. He's getting buckets. That's what they did uh, against Country Day. They Joe Chango thought they were going to throw the ball around the yard, and and Nelson Stewart pulled the okie doke on him, started running the ball nonstop. They ran it like 15 times a row with Joe's at Pleasant. It felt like uh, Pleasant had four touchdowns in that game against Country Day. I would think Newman's going to win this game, and then that sets up week eight. I'm already, I'm already, I can see it in the distance in Laplace week eight. Newman against St. Charles Catholic. That might be for the district crown. St. Charles Catholic only has one loss this season, and it was against a Class 5A school, East Ascension. Frank Monica is doing a fantastic job this year. His son, Nick Monica, is doing a great job. Hats off to the Monica family, man. We might have two, they might have two state crowns uh, to share between them uh, in December. So uh, it's, it's getting exciting, man. We're getting, we're getting into uh, the, the, the meat of the schedule. We're getting in late October here. It's starting to get a little colder. I got to wear a, a vest the other day at the it's Florida game. It's vest season. When it's vest season, hashtag vest season, you know it's starting to go off in the high school football game. You see the Patagonia on your sidelines, you're the game of the week. No, he is out there. I'm I'm ready, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to get daylight savings. I can shoot my tees for nine o'clock a little earlier. All right, all right, all right, all right. We know, <laughs> we know. We're gonna end this podcast right here before Juan runs us out of here. But before you guys go, a quick request and reminder to subscribe to this podcast channel to automatically get all of our content. Also, please rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. That'll do it for us for now. We'll talk to you next time on another raucous edition of Overtime. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love 
a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.